Good morning. If you could just get the house lights here on me to just turn up just a little bit, I would appreciate that. I had to uh, work my sermon out on my iPad uh, this morning because yesterday my wife bought me a beautiful, beautiful, large coffee from the new Dunkin' Donuts down the street. And I tipped it over on my MacBook Pro and fried the motherboard. Thank God we are saved by grace and not by works. I may or may not, but definitely did, say some things that were not nice. But I was by myself, alone with God alone, so my sins were repented straight to him. And you will not know anything else that happened. Well, thank you for your happy birthday serenade. That was beautiful. Started by Alan Harrison over there, who sings in the choir. Thank you, Alan. We had a, uh, we had a wonderful time on Friday. At, I know it's, it's, so, it's so counterintuitive to think of funerals and a wonderful time at funerals, but when it's with Christians, it's wonderful. Uh, we celebrated the life of uh, David Harrow's mother um, at a church uh, not too far from here. There must have been, I, I did the, the count, there must have been 400 to 500 people there. Awesome. Awesome showing on a Friday in the week, no less. It was a predominantly West Indian church. And um, let me just tell you, the West Indians, those are my people. I, uh, I understand now why our church has always been largely occupied by West Indian people. Um, especially when my father was the pastor. I used to get so nervous when he would say things that I thought were completely inappropriate. And he might be, he might be taking a flamethrower to somebody. Uh, young people, we, we would say that uh, he put your business out there, right? He, he, he put you on blast or he put you on front street. That is the entire mode of the West Indian church. <laughs> to the point where if you go past three minutes... In your reflections on people, they will literally tug on your pants and ask you to sit down. Like Showtime at the Apollo, the clown who comes out and he grabs the hook. They literally do that if you go past your three minutes. Every time somebody sat down from the, from the funeral on Friday, the pastor would come up and just give a little nudge in the side. I love those West Indian people. No filter. They have no filter. And I love it. I have no filter. We're transitioning to the second part of our series. You're going to see sub-series within this overall series on basic Christianity. I don't know how long basic Christianity is going to be. But there are going to be sub-series within this overall series of basic Christianity. Because I don't believe we understand today what it means to be a Christian. So many things... So many things today that are not Christian are passed off as if they are Christian. And Christian is, as Christian is defined by God and by Jesus Christ. 
not by human beings. There are many, many pithy aphorisms that we might use to apply to God, but the question we always have to ask ourselves is this, has God defined himself this way? And so we're going to begin a new series, a sub-series of our basic Christianity series entitled Knowing God. The transition from the past series is this. The last series was to focus on the philosophical reason for God. Or what we might call the metaphysical precondition, to use a big word. To explain to you and to the world why we as Christians believe that the belief in God is a properly basic and obvious belief. It is a thing that God himself has not thought. It's not something that, that we have created, but something that God has created. It is self-evident by the creation. It is self-evident by design. It is self-evident by life. It is self-evident by morality. And yes, all of those things are spoken about in God's word. They are in one sense a general understanding of who God, if there is a God, would have to be according to scripture, but according especially to revelation. It is, if you will, the skeleton the skeleton of God, not that God has a body, but that I'm using a metaphor. This series is the skin. We are going to say the specific things that God says about himself. And we are going to leave, hopefully, at the end of this series, with a new appreciation for the God who is high and lifted up. Let's pray. Father, we are humbled to stand in your presence. Father, we have lost our fear of you because we do not know you. We do not understand, Lord, that you are high and lifted up. That the seraphim that surround your throne declare, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. You are worthy to be praised. We think today, Lord, we say in our ignorance and in our rebellion, we no longer need you, but the truth is you don't need us. You are self-sufficient. In and of yourself is eternal community of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In and of yourself, you are being, you are, our mind, all things that are created, have their being through you. There is not a thing in this universe, Lord God, that exists apart from you. There is not a thing in this entire universe that exists apart from your sustaining power. And that at the moment you should choose, sovereign Lord, to take any of us. Or any part of this universe or the whole thing all together. And do with it as you please. No one can resist your will. Your word tells us you are a potter. And you have the right to do with the clay whatever you so choose. You will make vessels for honorable uses. 
You will make vessels for dishonorable uses. You will show mercy on who you will show mercy. You will, you will harden whom you will harden. And none of us will open our mouth before you and point our fingers and claim that you are not holy. That you have no right to do with us as you choose. We are nothing but dirt. Human beings are dirt. Our dignity is simply a dignity that is derived by being created in your image. We are not special apart from your sovereign image on us. We are not special apart from your declaration and your very breath that has been breathed out into our lungs. And we have rebelled against a holy God. We stand in your presence by grace alone. Every act of creation, every act of revelation is by grace alone. Every moment of sustaining power that you, God, enter into covenant relationship with your people is by grace alone. We are so grateful, Father. Let us be grateful. I wish not to speak for the hearts here this morning. Lord, let us see you. And let us have a new appreciation for the fear of God, for the holiness of God, and a new appreciation for your salvation. As we look at our nakedness and we see how you clothe us, let us say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty, and you are worthy to be praised. We offer these things to you, Lord. Amen. R.C. Sproul, the late R.C. Sproul said this, he said, the problem with Christians today is that they don't know who God is or who they are. He said it a little bit better. He began by saying, what's wrong with you? Someone asked the question, how can God, was God's punishment too harsh? And he said, God's punishment? A little speck of dust rebelled against the holy, almighty God, creator. Rejected his wisdom and power and authority. Then God sent his son to die so that all who believe on his name might be saved. And we say things like, God is too harsh. What is wrong with you, says Sproul. And then he said, the problem with Christians today is that they don't know who God is or who they are. So many times we hear things like God loves you and has a plan for your life. And we love that and it makes us feel so good. And I remember the first time I heard it, I began to look for the Bible verse that said those exact words. That God loves us and has a plan for us. And I didn't find it. All I found was more, more, and more of holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. That the object of scripture was not me, but was God. Or that God cares about you having your best life now. 
And I began to look in scripture to find where God revealed that mystery. Where does it tell me that God cares about me having my best life now? And all I saw was Paul praising God for being able to share in the suffering of Christ Jesus. I saw nothing of God caring about us having our best life now, but only a master who declared, if you will follow me, let him take up his cross. Nothing of a master, nothing but a master who said, they persecute me. And the servant is no better than the master if they persecute me. They're going to persecute you also. I see nothing but a God who bids us to come and give our whole being for him. I see nothing about our best life now or the purpose for our life. I see only that our purpose is to glorify and worship a holy God. But the problem is, we don't know who God is. Listen, human beings, you worship something or someone. We are incurably worshipful human beings. You will worship things and you say, I worship your job or your cars. And you look at your cars and you appreciate their beauty. You appreciate the leather on the inside. You appreciate the technological uh, uh, um, uh, uh, gadgets and gizmos on the inside. And the beautiful wheels and the, the beautiful paint job. You appreciate it. You worship it. You glorify it. You wash it. You work hard to pay for it. Or you worship the opposite sex. You work all week to spend the weekend in the strip club. You spend your money on sex. Your time spent away from work is time in front of a computer screen worshiping the human form. Once again, the created thing, even the creations of the created thing, you will worship something. You know what it is to appreciate things. We cannot know who God is. We cannot know who God is while we worship the created thing. For God to reveal himself to us and for us to know him truly is to make him the object of our worship. He is the center of all things so that he is most glorious and by comparison it would be that we hate all things because we love God and his holiness so much. I admit to you this morning Mr. Sproul is right. The problem with Christians today is that we don't know who God is. And as a result, we don't know who we are. And my hope in this sermon series is that we will know God as he is. Or as he has revealed himself. Well, what is the problem? He says it's a problem. What's the problem? Number one, we've lost meaning. What is the meaning of life? 
You cannot say that there is no God. You cannot water down the God of the Bible. You cannot define your own meaning to life and still claim that there is any ultimate meaning. When we don't know who God is, we have to create our own meaning. The loss of purpose. What really is the direction of our lives? What are the things that bring us most happiness? Why do we do what we do? Are we simply a hamster spinning the wheel? Going nowhere? Why do we spend our money? How do we spend our money? Without the knowledge of God, we are left to determine meaning and purpose for ourselves. Not only that, but we have the loss of self. Without a true knowledge of God, we can have no true knowledge of ourselves. We are left to determine who we are as a person apart from God defining what he made us for. And I submit to you that that is a very hard thing to realize that if there is no God, we, be our, we are our own responsibility. We have the right to declare who we are and what we are and what we will do with ourselves. But if there is a God, we do not belong to ourselves. We belong to him. We have lost the fear of God today. We have lost the fear of God today. It is incredibly unpopular to take the words fear and God and use them in the same sentence. Especially when trying to reach this generation of Christian. Because it's an uneasy and it's an unsettling thing. And we almost want to repel against the knowledge of God. Let me submit to you that you're not special in that respect Every person who ever encountered the God of the Bible was undone. When Moses asked to see God's glory, God said, I cannot show you my glory. If you see me, you will not live. When Isaiah went before God in Isaiah chapter 6 verse 4, he said, Woe, for I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell amongst the people of unclean lips. He understood his wickedness. When Adam heard God's voice, what did he do? He hid because he was afraid. When Peter realized that Jesus was more than a rabbi, when Jesus brought the fish into the boat... Peter looked back and said, get away from me, for I am a sinner. To see God and to know God is to be afraid. What do the angels tell when they come on God's behalf? What's the first thing they say? Don't be afraid. As one Christian scholar said, to ask to see God's glory, to have that beatific vision is more like hell than it is heaven. When Christ comes again in Revelation, the Bible tells us that those who are afraid or those who do not know the Lamb will beg for rocks to crush their body that they might die in avalanche rather than to face the glory of Almighty God. Do you fear God? 
If you don't, you don't know him. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. God, listen to me. Please do me this favor. If what I'm saying to you is wildly unpopular and offensive, do me this favor. Come until I'm done explaining these sermons. Don't leave. I want you to stick through it. I want you to hear the whole truth. Do not lose the fear of God. But in not knowing who God is, we lose the fear of God. What comes next is the loss of worship. We have no respect for worship today. I woke up this morning and to, the, to the same thunder and rain that you woke up to, and my heart sank. I knew that we were going to, many of us, would stay home today because of rain. We will go to the Dolphins game and paint silly fish on our face and sit in the monsoon... And we won't come and sit in a building and hear God declared if a couple drops of rain fall. We will worship something, but we've lost worship. The statistics keep coming in. The church is growing by converts by 2.4%. The church is shrinking. The young generation no longer comes to church. I submit to you, it's not your fault, young generation. At least you will, be, you will be responsible for it, but it's not your fault. It is the men and women who went before you who sold you a bill of goods on a God who doesn't need to be feared. As I sat in that church on... Friday, there were all around me were these older men and women, these older Christians, and I kept thinking, where are the younger Christians? Where are they? And then I'd listen to the older generation speak, and I just couldn't help but ask the question, what do they have that I don't? And I think what they have, young people, is a better understanding of who God is. We don't fear God. We have not learned to fear God and therefore we have lost worship. Ultimately, this will lead to the loss of our soul. If we are God's creations, if he is author of our very form, he has the right to do with us what he would choose. And if we reject him, we cannot live. This is a problem. Mr. Sproul was right. The reform thinker John Calvin said this, our wisdom, by wisdom he means knowledge, he means everything that we deem to be wise in our life. All that we may claim we know. He says, our wisdom, human wisdom, insofar as it ought to be deemed true and solid wisdom, that is true and unflinching wisdom, consists almost entirely of two parts, the knowledge of God and the knowledge of ourselves. And I want to prove that to you this morning. Calvin goes on to say, We cannot aspire to Him, that is God, in our earnest until we have begun to be displeased with ourselves. You know why people aren't being converted today? 
Because there's nothing to be converted to. We tell everybody they're fine just the way they are. We tell people that they don't need to change, that they can remain how they are and still be a Christian. And then I ask the question, why would I be a Christian? My schedule's going to intensify because I'm going to have to go to church at least once a week. And I might have to do other things during the week. And then I'm going to have to add on all the scrutiny and persecution that the world gives to me as they observe my life. And when they see inconsistencies, they're going to point their fingers. I'm going to lose jobs and I might lose out on a lot of the earthly pleasures that I want. If I don't have to change to be a Christian, why would I be a Christian? You can't be saved until you realize you need to be saved. You can't find pleasure in God until you find displeasure with yourself. If you only find pleasure in yourself, then you are your own God. The Bible has a word for that. It is idolatry. Christianity begins with displeasure in ourselves. Otherwise, the cross of Christ has nothing to offer us. We cannot aspire to him in earnest until we have begun to be displeased with ourselves. This question of who God is then becomes the basis for the question of all reality. I want to look at three ways that we might answer this question. That human beings have answered this question. The first way is are human beings and the rest of creation God themselves or a part of God? That's one way that people answer the question, how can we know God? They will say we are a part of God or we are God ourselves or we are a part of God. One popular philosopher of this view is Deepak Chopra. You might see him on Larry King, or you might read him in uh, you might read him in some certain magazines. You'll see him quoted. He's been on Oprah many times. But just listen to what he said. He said, "God is not revealed to us through belief, but through spiritual practices." Yesterday, we uh, Jackie and Jocks. They got us this awesome gift, Um, and I don't know why, but it was just a thank you for that gift, wherever they are, Um, to go and mold. We were doing, we were making things with clay, so we sat there, and the woman who who helped us, what a sweet lady she was. I just, I loved her. My wife and I fell in love with her, but she was full of this type of thinking. She said, I am, she said, I love this. What does everybody do and I get to say I'm pastor and then nobody else's life job matters because they want to just ask me all the questions. Not that I'm so interesting, but that they want to know. And she began to say things like, I'm a secularist. I deny that there is any supreme God, but that we are all one part of God. She began to tell me about experiences that she had. Obviously, they were induced by uh, any type of way that you would induce mystical experiences. Drugs would be one. Uh, um, uh, fasting would be another. She was telling me about experiences that she had. I remember one time she said, oh, I, I met God on that day. She said it was totally experiential. 
This is, this is this philosophy. And it is rampant in our world today. These include self-awareness, the entire wheel of awareness, including awareness of sensory experience, awareness of the body. Therefore, you see the use of drugs, the use of sex. This is what they did in the pagan temples. They would involve themselves in drugs and in alcohol and in sexual orgies in order to have one with God. This is the awareness of the relationship. He says self-reflection. Who am I? They, in order, according to Chopra, to answer that question, when you ask this question, you realize you're neither body, mind, ego, or intellect, but simply, listen, here's the kicker, a speck of consciousness, which is an aspect of an infinite consciousness. This view is popularized or known as pantheism or panentheism. Pantheism is the belief that all reality is God. All of reality is God. This Bible is part of God or is God. I'm God. You're God. All reality is God according to this view. In order to know God, this view says... God is not a part up there making demands on his people. You are part of God and therefore you are sovereign. That is that you have both the right and the power to rule in your own life. That's very popular today, especially in our colleges and universities. I have a degree in secular religious philosophy. And this was the most prevailing view of my religious studies time at FIU. We took classes by witches. Two witches in two separate classes were my professors. We learned to respect voodoo and Santa Ria and all of Yoruban culture. Because we were all, after all, just part of God. And we all determined what was right according to us. And your kids are being fed that bill of goods when they go off to these schools. And I'm not saying don't send them. I'm saying prepare them. And I'm saying prepare yourself to answer these questions. Panentheism is the reality that we're all part of God's reality. This is a philosophical view known as monism. That is that all reality is just one. There aren't separate realities. All reality is one. The goal of this view is to transcend all barriers of disunity by evolving into a greater and greater collective consciousness with the universe. I'll tell you one other thing that this worldview does. It tries to answer the issue of segregation based on falsehood. You might remember... Old Ben Kenobi. Favorite movie. Probably the number one movie in all of American culture. Was completely built upon this philosophy. I'm not saying go home and throw out your Star Wars series. You can throw out episode one. The Phantom Menace. Because that was terrible. It almost destroyed the franchise. Watch it. 
But understand that people are being fed this who aren't in churches today and don't understand. They're being fed some kind of garbage that sounds good, but it's not true. The force is what gives the Jedi his power, Obi-Wan tells Luke. It's an energy field created by all living things. Energy, that's a big word. When you hear words like energy, I want you to think, this is pantheism. It surrounds us and penetrates us and binds the galaxy together. This type of religion is even, even incredibly interesting to secular scientists who study what's called string theory, which is to be the thing that unites all things in our universe. That's one way of answering who God is. Oprah says this, he says, God is a feeling. I use Oprah because she's very popular. God is a feeling experience and not a believing experience. If your religion is a believing experience, then it's not truly God. In other words, if your religion is based upon information about who God is, it's not true God. Let me tell you something. The Bible tells us, if you want to know who God is, He speaks and you listen. So what am I saying? Oprah's wrong. It's popular, it's easy, it's not God. Well, what about other ways to view how about this? There's another answer today that's very popular. Are human beings and the rest of creation simply matter in motion? Paul Kurtz, who's the editor of Free Inquiry, it's a secular magazine, says humanism cannot in any fair sense of the word apply to one who still believes in God as the source and creator of the universe. John Dewey, who is the father and popularizer of modern American education, public education. What most of you and have as your understanding and what most of your children have as their understanding, this is what this man believed. He said, I cannot understand how any realization of the democratic ideal as a vital moral and spiritual ideal in human affairs is possible without surrender of the conception of supernatural Christianity. Guess what, Mr. Dewey? You got your way. Where is God in the secular school today? We've adapted a view of origins that embraces materialism. Human beings are nothing but accidental. If you tell a child that spontaneous generation is your origin, that there once was mud and a little bolt of lightning struck that mud and formaldehyde or whatever it was which kills things, but that's what the early environment was. And all of those molecules, those carbon-based molecules, became living matter. And then over billions and billions and billions of years, we accidentally got the beauty of human beings. Why not shoot up a school? After all, you're nothing but an accident. You're not special. You, you see, you, you, you can't feed kids this. 
day in and day out and expect them to respect their brother. Because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. We are all simply matter in motion. Young people love this phrase. They love to say YOLO, right? You only live once. YOLO. You only live once. So, so enjoy the pleasures of this life because once you die, you're gone. That is, folks, secular humanism. Where are our children, where are our religion courses in high school? If they're there, if they are there, they are not allowed to give credence and special importance to Christianity. They tell kids, pick and choose like a buffet, which one you want. Whichever one works for you, believe that. But don't expect it to be ultimately true. If you want to know ultimate truth, you got to go to the science department to find that. You say, are you really making this up? This sounds really extreme. We don't even know what a gender is anymore. We used to know. That's a boy. That's a girl. That's how we used to figure it out. That's crude. That's how they figured it out, folks. Today, we don't even know what a gender is. Scientists have come along and tried to tell us that oh, our psychology is different. If a person feels in their mind like a certain thing, it's because of a certain chemical reaction. And that certain chemical reaction, they can't help it. Therefore, they must be it. We have to accept it. You can't even call those things mental disorders anymore. Today, it's genders. But we're not far off from grotesque immorality being justified by our physical makeup. Trust me on it. John Dewey. Humanism is the belief that man is the measure of all things, as well as the denial of any and all supernatural realities. There isn't heaven and hell. There are no consequences for your actions. What you do in this life doesn't matter. You know what happened to Hitler? He died. That was it. You know what happened to every slave master? They died. That was it. You know whatever happens to every child molester? They die. That's it. And the only possible conclusion that young people could come to is then I'll do whatever I want. Because this life ain't that great anyway. The goal is to create, listen to this word, the goal is to create meaning for ourselves. Listen, I know we want to believe that we have the right to create meaning, but only you believe that about yourself. You don't believe it about everyone else. This is an unlivable philosophy. If you create meaning for yourselves, what if person B creates a meaning for his self, 
that infringes upon your meaning for yourself. You say, well, then that's not right. And I say, who are you to say what's right and wrong? You're not God. There is no God. I say my meaning is what makes me happy. I'm going to pursue it, even if it infringes upon you. You say, where's that going? Drug dealers. They don't care about the fact that they're selling cocaine and that they are destroying lives. The people who snort the stuff don't care that it affects everyone around them. Prostitution destroys the home. But talk to the pimp and the prostitute and they will tell you they got to get paid. This is unlivable. The thief will tell you he has a right to your property. The next time a person says that meaning, meaning is indefinite, tell that person, I believe that stealing is okay. Then steal their radio and see if they still believe it. Now don't actually do that because you'll be in trouble. This is an unlivable worldview. You cannot live this out. There has to be a meaning that transcends all of us and that we all have to play by this rule. Seth MacFarlane, he's the creator of Family Guy, by the way. Some, I, I love Young people ask me all the time, this is a big one, can you still watch Family Guy and be a Christian? Sh sure you can. Sure. Do you know anything about it? Do you know anything about its creator, young person? Do you believe what worldview they're pushing on you? No. Then my question is, why would you watch it? I don't hang around people who talk bad about my mama and daddy. You understand me? If you got a problem with my mama and daddy, you and I aren't boys. We're not hanging out. I don't need to hear you. Well, listen to what Seth says about your daddy. Stay away from the church. In the battle over science and religion, science offers credible evidence for all the serious claims it makes. The church says, oh, it's right here in this book, see? Seth mocks brothers and sisters in the church. Christian, young person... You are being mused for. You uh, muse yourself and allow others to muse for you. The word muse means to think. The word ah uh, muse means to not think. And someone several years ago, I have the book on my desk, wrote a book entitled, We Are Amusing Ourselves to Death. The men and women who control your thoughts or who control the media and who control media does not simply mean the news. Media means how communication, the process of communication. Those who control Hollywood and the media are controlling your thoughts if you are amusing. Now do not hear me say, I am not saying go home and throw out your TVs because that won't solve the problem. 
I am saying learn to think. Be aware of the crap that you're being fed. But McFarlane has made the mistake that so many have made, and that is this. He assumes that science and religion are answering the same sort of questions. Science observes nature and answers the question, how? And by the way, it doesn't always do a great job of that. Read the reports about eggs 40 years ago. Read the reports about eggs 30 years ago. Read the reports about eggs 20 years ago. Read the reports about eggs 10 years ago. Read the reports about eggs today, and guess what you're going to find? Eggs are good. No, eggs are bad. Eggs are bad. Eggs are good. Eggs are good. Eggs are bad. Religion answers the question, why? It answers the question, why? And the big question we have to answer then is, which religion is the right one? The last one is this, are human beings and the rest of creation distinct from God? Michael Horton says this, God is the stranger we meet, or more properly, the stranger who reveals himself to us. God is a stranger who is qualitatively different from his creation, both in his being and in his holiness. The Bible says in Genesis 2-7, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. We are dust. We're dust. Our dignity is not in what we can do. It's not in your beauty. Young ladies, don't look to American standards of beauty to find your self-worth. Paul says, it's not in braided hair, but with a holy, a holy conscience. It is with a center of understanding that you are created in the image of God, just like men are created in the image of God. There is a beauty cult in our country. Beautiful, beautiful women who were beautiful when they were young try to keep that beauty as they age but guess what happens? The beauty fades away. And then they go and they get all kinds of stuff on their face. And they look worse than had they just aged naturally. Don't I look young? No, you don't. I'm horrified. Their lips are all plumpy. Because for them, the meaning of who they are is in their beauty. But the Bible says the meaning of your beauty, who you are, is in the fact that I formed you. The man 
was formed by God. The Bible says that then the Lord God formed him. God is not simply the creator. He is the Lord. He is the sovereign who determines who we are. He is the one who makes us beautiful. He is the one who determines how we are to use our bodies. Not us. The Lord is God. And he formed man of dust. You ever read the back of a cereal box? Zinc, magnesium, iron, full of dust. And you need more dust to keep yourself strong and healthy. But the Lord breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. This was after God created the heavens and the earth. The Bible clearly teaches that God is distinct from his human beings. So number one, are God or are human beings part of God? The answer is no. God is not dust. He makes dust. And he makes dust purposeful. I took clay yesterday and I molded it into a beautiful vase and it was beautiful. But that clay is not important. I gave it its design and form. God made the clay and then formed the man. And we think we can stand before God. In Job 38, at the end of his Feud with God, as it were. Listen to how Job is treated by God. If you have your Bibles, turn there really quickly. The created being is separate from the creator who is not only sovereign or who is not only the source of life, he is the Lord of life. It says in verse 1 of chapter 38 of the book of Job, Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Job's been complaining. Oh, God, Why'd you make me like this? Why, why'd you take away what I had? Job was a man who had many things. He had great riches. And he was a righteous man. And he thought that God owed him something. And listen to what God says. Dress for action like a man. I will question you and you make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determines its measurements? Surely you know. Now God has entered into mocking Job. 
Or who stretched the line upon it on what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Or who shut in the sea with doors when it burst out from the womb? When I made clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band and prescribed limits for it and set bars and doors and said, Thus far shall you come and no farther and here shall your proud waves be stayed. You know what holds in that ocean? You know what holds up our very earth? God. Have you commanded the morning since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place that it may take hold of the skirts of the earth and the wicked be shaken out of it? It is changed like clay under the seal and its features stand out like a garment. From the wicked their light is withheld and their uplifted arm is broken. Have you entered into the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been revealed to you or have you seen the gates of deep darkness? Have you comprehended the expanse of the earth? Declare if you know all this. God is making a very strong case in the rest of this chapter that you, human being, and him are not the same. That you, human being, and God are in a very unique relationship of creator and creation. That you, human being, will not judge God. He will judge us. In Job 42, Job finally answers back to God after he has seen God. And listen to what he said. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Understand the man who's saying this. This is a man who's just lost all earthly possessions. He thought they were his. He thought that land was his, that he had earned it. He thought those children were his, that he had made them. He thought that he was the sovereign of his possessions. But God will do with our possessions and with us as he pleases. Who is it that hides counsel without knowledge? He's going to answer this. It's him. Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand. You see, the knowledge of God does not begin with us. It begins with God speaking to us. The fundamental relationship between us and God is God speaks and we listen. Things too wonderful for me, which I did not know, hear and I will speak. I will question you and you make it known to me. I had, listen, listen, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear. Go back to what Mr. Sproul said today. You have only heard of God. 
by the hearing of your ear. And you and I have been taught falsehood about God. Here's what Job says. But now my eye sees you. Listen to his reaction. I heard about you, God. I thought I had the right to talk to you however I wanted, God. I thought you owed me something, God. You owed me a long life, God. I thought you owed me riches and wealth, God. I thought you owed me my next day, God. But now I have seen you. And he declares this. I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. The Bible tells us in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 1, that in the past God spoke to our forefathers. He spoke and revealed who he was through the prophets. But in these last days, God has spoken to us by His Son. Today, the knowledge of God has been showed to you. He is high and lifted up. He is holy. And if you want to know God truly, you have to know Him in His Son. Let's pray. Father, it is my prayer as we begin these series of messages that we will have a new appreciation and understanding of who you are. That we will no longer speak of you, speak of you as men without knowledge, but we will shut up our mouths and listen with our ears. God, we will not say to you, you are unfair, you are unrighteous. You are righteous, you are holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. And you are worthy to be praised. Lord, I pray that these people here would give their life to you, that they would understand they are but dust, you are their creator. Lord, have your way through us. 